You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Now, if you are a visitor, we're delighted to have you with us. And uh, in the morning service, we've been looking through uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And this morning, we're coming on to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just let's ask God's blessing on his word. Lord, this is your word. May we hear it as such. May we be doers as well as hearers of the word. May you speak to us and encourage us and draw us to yourself in your name. Amen. Now this morning and this evening, I'm going to look at two things that are absolutely key and crucial to the Christian life. And as I was praying, uh, first of all, I hope you listen. And secondly, I hope that we are doers as well as hearers of the word. I'm not assuming that everyone here is a Christian. And it may be that you've come in here and what you're going to hear, again, I hope you listen, because it is so countercultural that it is incredibly shocking. I think it's shocking. Uh, I was preparing for this this week and... Um, I went through all the stages that sometimes people go through of feeling, one, this is great, two, I am guilty, Uh, three, let me find a way out of this, and four, then come back to it and say, well, Lord, this is, it is actually, this is wonderful. We're going to look at two um, of the charismata. Now, that's a Greek word, means the gifts of grace. And when I told Chris Southwick we were going to do this, he said, oh, great, can I speak in tongues? Uh, And that's what people think. They think charismata are uh, particularly associated with that. You get the term charismatic. Now, some of you will be shocked at this, but we are a charismatic church because we believe in the gifts of grace. They are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and he gives them, he's sovereign, he gives them to each as he pleases. Now, I have heard people pray for different charismata. I have never heard anyone pray for the gift that we are going to look at this morning. It is the grace of giving. How many, I just wonder how many people here, Lord, please give me the gift of giving. It, it doesn't immediately jump to the list of gifts that we would want. And I realize there's an immediate danger in what we're looking at because there will be people who, in your heads, you're automatically thinking, giving, money, switch off time. Because um, we think the church is always after your money. Or maybe you've got one of those emails from the widow in Nigeria who's got $10 million to give you if only you send bank account details. Or uh, you've got the begging letter from the charity, or you've got the one from the treasurer of the church, or the preacher on the TV screaming for money. And automatically, your self-defenses are up, and you're saying, you're not going to get me. Well, what we're going to look at is very, very different from that approach. Because let's be honest, money is very, very important in my life and in your life. It makes a big difference to you. If you don't have enough money, you, it really weighs upon you. If you are blessed and 
you receive gifts. Uh, yesterday morning, for example, or Friday morning, I think, uh, two things happened. We were presented with a bill, and uh, Annabel was presented with a bill, and I was presented with a cheque. And it was just lovely to be able to cover that. If you're presented with a bill and you don't have the cheque, it's not so lovely. And it may be that there are some of you who don't care about money, that you honestly say, oh, I don't care about money. Uh, but maybe that's some people who don't need to care about money because uh, you never have to bother because it was always there. You're a child who grew up and you just got given everything and you just carry on like that. And there are some of you this morning who will feel very burdened by money, that, that you're struggling, you wonder where the bills are going to be paid from. Now, please don't ignore the Bible's teaching about money. It really helps enormously and it's not, I think, what many people suspect it is. If you ignore the Bible's teaching about money, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like you get sent a bank letter and you think, it's a bank letter, I'm not going to open it. And you put it aside. Or um, I got one this week and I was defrauded um, in this phone company and uh, you know, I keep getting sent the letters and I was just going to throw away. I opened it up and threw it away and before I opened it, I thought, wait a minute, it says here I paid so I phoned them and said, I haven't paid you a penny. And I had to look and see and read and find out, and they're investigating what's happened. Well, you can choose to ignore what the bank sends you. You can choose to ignore what God says, and the second is much more serious. So let's uh, have a look at this. We'll look at the first eight verses of second, seven verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you too excel in this grace of giving. Now, this is where the countercultural aspect comes in. Because we live in a getting culture not a giving one. We all want to receive and to get. We, we think of people giving. It's the super rich who give. People think they're worth, or at least that's how people want to perceive it. If I had X amount of money, I would give a whole lot more. People also think their worth is expressed in how much money they get and how much they are paid how many times do you hear the argument, we have to give these bankers big bonuses because otherwise we won't get quality people? Now, imagine what is being said with that. I'm sure that there's a, a responsibility, a payment and things like that. But supposing you're on a high salary, do you really look at the, the waitress in the cafe and say, I'm actually worth more than you. Because if you do, there's something severely wrong with your thinking. 
We live in a culture where people lie and cheat, where they avoid taxes, where they have an entitlement attitude. I have the right to have this. Where people kill for money. People will often go talk about the, the trouble that religion causes in the world. But it's almost nothing compared with the trouble that the love of money causes. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil in the church. People want what the church gives, but doesn't want to pay for it. Or you will find that people use religion and use the church to manipulate people to get money. It's such a confused and confusing mess. That's in general, in particular, I'm not going to ask you this. Well, I'm going to ask you, but I don't expect you to answer. How are your finances? Because some of us find ourselves in trouble. Personally, I'm not all that great with money. And uh, I often personally get it wrong. And sometimes you get into debt. And debt is a tremendous burden. Chris uh, is involved with CAP. Christians Against Poverty. And what they primarily do is deal with debt management. Because debt is an incredible thing to weigh upon people. And I think CAP are brilliant. I think it's a fantastic ministry. And we should pray for it and encourage and be involved. And by the way, don't think that CAP is just for people who are down and out on the streets. Or who can't go and get food. CAP is also for you. Because you could be a middle class person or be doing quite well. Uh, You think people perceive you as doing quite well. But financially you could be in a lot of difficulty. And there are people who won't admit to that. It's the second most important cause for suicide. People won't admit to it. And I think it's much better to admit to it and go and try and get it sorted out. And CAP are really, really helpful in doing that. Well, as we look at this letter, we'll see how the Christian teaching, how what God teaches us about money is so helpful in all of these situations. This letter, by the way, is the model begging letter. Um, It's just a great way of encouraging people to give The background to it is simple. The poor Jewish believers in Israel, and it was really mostly the poor in Jerusalem who became believers, were hit hard by outbreaks of famine during the reign of Emperor Claudius, the years AD 41 to 54. So you're talking about 10 years after Pentecost. And there's this large church, tens of thousands of people, and they're hit by famine. And God's people had, who had experienced such blessing were starving. So what can be done about it? Does God provide? Well, yes, God did provide, but he provided through other believers. So, and can you imagine this scene today? The church in Syria sent money to save the starving in Jerusalem through Barnabas and Saul. Uh, if you could move on, Adeline, please. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
It's a basic thing that they did. It was basic, practical Christianity. Believers in Antioch were better off than the believers in general in Jerusalem. Then Romans 15, we read this. Paul says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Here Paul was telling the, and encouraging the churches stretching from Spain, Rome, and Greece and Turkey, saying you need to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. It was always a very important part of the Christian church. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. Paul, talking about his conversion, says that understandably the apostles were cautious about him. They had uh, questioned, could this man who's this persecutor, could he really be? So they met with him and they confirmed that he was a believer and that he'd been given this call to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then this, Galatians 2.9. James, Peter and John... Those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. They said to Paul, go, go to the Gentiles, but please remember the poor. This is of the essence of the gospel. And Paul says, that's the one thing that I wanted to do. That's the very thing I was eager to do. Isn't it strange how the devil distorts Christian teaching? So on the one hand, you get people who say, well, um, we, you know, we're really, really solid on Bible teaching and Jesus dying for our sins and the resurrection and the divinity of Christ. But remembering the poor, that's, that's, um, isn't that liberalism? Or you get other people say, we're really into remembering the poor, but Jesus dying on the cross, that's not a big deal, is it? It's all about helping the poor. And the two have always gone together because there's an attitude, there's something that happens. When you become a believer, there's a change that occurs in your life. And you do care for the poor. Now what happened was that towards the end of this famine, about the year AD 54, Paul went to the Galatian churches to ask them uh, to get involved with this. And the Corinthians want to get involved. So in the first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, we read this. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now you see what he's saying. Corinth is in the south of Greece. You don't just jump on EasyJet and go from Corinth to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. And he's saying, Paul is saying to this church, I want you in your own homes, save up money, save up money until I come. And then when I come, 
I want you to be prepared. We'll send some men. They'll go with letters of introduction that the money's going to be looked after and so on. Trustworthy people will send them to Jerusalem. And it really is when you look at it, when you think about it. In fact, much of the New Testament doesn't make sense until you gather that all this was going on. Now, what's extraordinary here is that the Macedonian churches... This is not the area we know as Macedonia now, and if you want to discuss Greek politics, then uh, uh, Maria will tell you what's real Macedonia, and Thanos will tell you uh, also. But uh, this was an area where we've got three churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And they had contacted Paul saying, "We we want to take part in this. They had contacted Paul saying, please, Let us give money. They didn't make an appeal. This was not a begging letter saying, please, can you give us money? We're in trouble. It's a begging letter saying, please allow us to give. Now, I think that's completely countercultural. I've never received a letter like that. I get lots of letters. Can you give for this? Can you give for this? Can you give for this? But please allow us to give. So let's go back to that, or on the next slide please, to verse, uh, the first few verses. Now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Giving is a grace. It's a, it's a charis. It's a charismata. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a grace. Now, partly what Paul is doing here is he's appealing to a wee bit of competitive spirit. That's not a bad thing. Um, I used to edit the Free Church's record. Um, When I began editing it, every month they had a page that was full of the givings of the congregations. It was kind of a league table. And I didn't think it was all that good a thing to do, so we pulled back from doing it. But what was interesting is when we pulled back from doing it, the givings dropped. Because you could see people going... We're in St. Peter's. It's not right that Leith are above us or Brody Ferry or whatever. You know, I mean, and, and you'd see this competitive thing that occurred. And sometimes to compete with one another in terms of generosity, not uh, too bad an idea. What he's really doing is he's saying, what Paul is saying here is, here are these churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. They're poor. They're poor. You're in Corinth. You are wealthy people. You're in a merchant city. You're in a well-off area in comparison with them. So if they can give, why not you? Isn't it strange in the modern world that you find that people in poor areas, poorer churches, are far more generous than people in wealthy areas? I know that wealthy churches like to say, well, look how much we give, to which the biblical response is, look how much you've got left. Isn't it extraordinary that you will, you will find that? I remember speaking to one minister who told me that his church had hundreds of thousands of pounds in the bank from previous generations, but that the current generation, on average, each member gave the cost of a newspaper per week, one pound per week. And yet that was a church where we'd say, we're here to help the poor. You know, they would hold an Oxfam thing and get 300 pounds and get their name in the paper or whatever. It's so different 
from the much more radical teaching of the Bible. There's an extraordinary, and to tell you how different it is, there's an extraordinary grace exhibited here in the Macedonians. That's what Paul says. We want you to know about this grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They were a colony. They were an exploited colonial economy. Many of the believers were persecuted. They were fined. They were dispossessed of their property. But they then showed extraordinary sacrificial generosity. They didn't send an appeal letter to Corinth or to Paul saying, can you please ask the Corinthians to help us because we've lost our property, because we're being persecuted. They, out of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty, wrote to Paul saying, please let us give to the poor in Jerusalem. Let us give to the Jews. Now, then as now, there was an anti-Semitism. There was a, a, a bitterness against the Jews. Something quite extraordinary in history, that that has always existed. And for these poor, Gentile, Macedonian believers to plead to be allowed to give to the Jews is extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. I imagine Paul didn't contact them at all about this because they were in such bad circumstances but they offered of their own free will. And they did it cheerfully, their overflowing joy. The Corinthians were a bunch of moaners, and the uh, Galatians, sorry, the Macedonians were cheerful givers out of their poverty. I remember this being brought home to me one time when I was in South Africa, uh, only to have been in South Africa, in Pretoria, and went to one of the slums. A million people lived in this slum. A million people. I couldn't believe the tin shacks and everything. The kind of thing you think, we only see this on the telly. We went into a church. It was a brick church, a Dutch reformed church. Very simple, clean and well looked after. And the part of the service I remember most of all was the collection. Because what they did was, that it was, it was, for some reason, it was the mamas, they said, can the mamas come up and you know, do the collection? And they sang as they, they danced their way to the front of the church and then put their money in. And I loved it in all kinds of ways. Because it wasn't, didn't matter if you were rich or if you were poor, everyone was giving. They saw grace, giving as uh, a, a gift of grace. And I, I, I look at myself and I think, do I really think that? I mean, why do we have to be manipulated into giving? Why do we give out of this guilt complex? And, and, and as we go on through this chapter, you'll see God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't love a moaning giver. They did it out of joy. My usual Calvin quote. Calvin says this, By the term joy, he means that spiritual consolation by which believers are sustained under their afflictions. For the wicked either delude themselves with empty consolations by avoiding a perception of the evil and drawing off the mind to rambling thoughts, or else they wholly give way to grief and allow themselves to be overwhelmed with it. So what Calvin is saying, he's saying that believers have lots of troubles. That's what Paul is saying. But in the midst of this most extreme affliction, there can be a real joy. 
If you're not a believer and you have these troubles, here's what happens. You either delude yourself with empty consolations. It doesn't matter all this stuff is happening because I can drink this or because I can see this on the telly or because this sporting event went well. Or our minds wander off to rambling thoughts or we crash and burn. We give way to grief and we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. Paul says in the Christian attitude there is one of joy in the midst of affliction that makes us generous. So he goes on. The second thing, great, first is that giving is a grace. The second is he looks at the method of giving. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Here's the first and the most important principle of Christian giving. You give first to the Lord. You don't sit down like an accountant, work out, what can I afford to give? It's not just, here's my tithe. They were not just contributing money, but themselves. First of all, they gave themselves to the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were giving money to the Lord. Before they gave the money to be sent to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, they gave themselves to the Lord. Christian giving is the giving of a lover, not of a machine. And that's a key question to ask. Is your giving spiritual first to the Lord? Christian giving is not just philanthropy. It's not that you're Bill Gates or go down the scale to whatever level you are at and you're saying, well, I've got this money and I'm going to give this. and uh, You know, I can't help it, but I'm really quite a wonderful person because I give. Christian giving is the view that says, Lord, all that I have, all that I have, it's yours. I'm giving myself to you. And, and when, when I give you my body, when I give you my heart, when I give you my soul, that does include my wallet and my bank account and my home. The method of giving is to give yourself first to the Lord. And then that giving itself draws us closer to Christ. Then, second to his people. You'll see that there. They gave as much as they were able, even entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded service to the saints. They gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us. And again, that's not just about giving money. It's as though, that's why I like the South African thing. Because for me, it was as though these women were putting themselves in the offering plate. It's easy to put money into an offering plate. It's much more difficult to give yourself. If you give yourself to Jesus, then you realize that your property and money is actually his anyway. You're just giving it back to him. You're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Because Jesus has already told you, you ain't taking any of it with you to heaven. It's very important to remember that. Not a bit of it is going with you. So, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? And what does God say? He says, I want you to love my people. I want you to bless my people. Paul saw that these poor Macedonian Christians gave themselves to his ministry. And then look at what they did. They they gave as much as they were able and beyond. We do not give God the spare change that we have. We give ourselves to the Lord. I read this story. I I quite liked it. You may not appreciate it so much. But um, 
Maybe some of you have heard it, the story of the cow and the pig debating. And they were debating the subject of giving. And the cow said, look at all these pints of milk that I gave. I've given a whole lot more than you. And the pig points to the bacon and says to the cow, your giving was a contribution. Mine was a sacrifice. That's the difference. John Wesley was extraordinary in this. He worked out that he could live on 28 pounds per year, which in those days was probably around 10,000 pounds. He became very famous. His books and, and pamphlets and tracts made a lot of money. Wesley, for the whole of his life, never raised his living standard beyond 28 pounds per year. Why do you think the miners heard him? Because he just, he, he was so consistent in what he did. Roy Clement says this, some Christians give according to their means, some beyond their means, and some according to their meanness. They gave out of deep poverty. Just, I mean, I've been thinking about this all week. How do you give out of deep poverty? I'm not in deep poverty. Some of you are wealthier than me. Some of you are a, a lot poorer. But deep poverty? Wondering where you're going to have your next meal from? They gave out of their deep poverty. And I think the method of giving overall has this idea that you recognize it as a privilege, not a religious duty. It is more blessed to give than to receive, says Jesus. Having said that, of course, it's also blessed to receive. How many of you have people have wanted to bless you and give to you and you've gone, oh, no, 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 I can't accept that, I can't take that. Why? Why can't you accept it and why can't you take it? Are you saying, I'm not a charity case? What you mean when you give, it is a charity case? That betrays your attitude more than it betrays theirs. If someone wants to give to you, then why not accept, even if it's humbling for you? And then the last thing is the excellence of giving. So we urge Titus, since he'd early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Completeness. Sometimes we start something and we don't complete it. Corinth was a wealthy place. That was reflected in the church, though there were many poor people who were called, as uh, Paul indicated in 1 Corinthians. He was keen that each Sunday they would set aside a sum of money for giving to the poor church in Jerusalem. But they kind of backed off a bit. So he sent Titus to bring it to completion. I I want to say this. If you don't give according to the teachings of Scripture, according to the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on so much blessing. That's not saying being irresponsible. There are people who are irresponsible. It would be completely irresponsible of you. And churches, I've seen churches do this where they've said to people, go remortgage your homes. Take on a financial burden. And do that in order to help with this church building project or whatever. And I I honestly feel that's irresponsible in many different ways. It's not saying people should be irresponsible. In fact, it's the very opposite. It's saying get control of your finances. Stop expecting other people to do it. And then use that money for God's glory. You plan your giving. You plan for your family. Well, remember your church family. You plan for that. You should not need to be motivated by a picture of a starving child to hand over money. You should know 
that today throughout the world there are your fellow believers who would be delighted to have what you and I would call poverty. They are beyond that. So Paul sends Timothy, uh, sorry, sends Titus to remind them. And look what he, he, he says about the Corinthians. He gives them a report card. I find this fascinating. Look at that. He says to them, first of all, in faith, you get an A. And in speech, in preaching, you get an A. And in knowledge, sound doctrine, you get an A. And in earnestness, you get an A. And in fellowship and in love for us, you get an A. But he says, I want you to excel in this grace of giving as well. You need an A in that too. It's the giving of a thankful, consecrated people. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I love you. I love the people. There's been so much hassle and trouble. And he's saying, just as you excel in all these things, make sure you excel in this one. So how does this all end? Well, it's, it's surely it is of grace. Grace leads to gratitude. Gratitude to joy. Joy to giving. I, go, I don't ask you how much do you give. And I'm not telling you how much I give. That's not your business. And what you give is not my business. I ask just simply, have you experienced God's grace? Do you know that God's grace is just another means of saying God's generosity? Have you experienced God's generosity? Do you know, as he'll go on to say, and we'll look at this next week, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor? Do you know that Jesus emptied himself? That he lived in poverty? That he experienced loss? That he was abused and mocked? That he died the horrendous death on the cross so that we might be filled that we might become rich, that we might gain, that we might be set free, that we might live eternally. Because if you know that, you are immensely grateful. And because you are grateful, you are joyful. And because you are joyful, you give. You give yourself to the Lord And you use all that you have to express that gratitude and bless his people and world. You know that God is a generous God. You know that you are not buying him off. You know that you are not purchasing your stairway to heaven. You are not building a shrine in your garden. You are not giving to the poor in order to to buy treasure in heaven. What you are doing is you are just out of joy expressing gratitude to God. You know that he is generous, that he will not let his people be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And I think, I find that much more challenging than somebody standing up here and saying, guilting me out by saying, you've got all this money. Look at these poor people who are starving. Now don't you feel guilty? What I find much more challenging is this. When I look at my attitude to money and I look at my attitude to giving and I note the reluctance that sometimes I have in giving, I sometimes think, do you even know the Lord? This generous God? And you? You you claim to follow him. You're sound in doctrine. You're sound in this. You get an A in faith, an A in speeching, an A in knowledge, an A in earnestness, an A in fellowship. Or since I'm going to be falsely humble and Scottish, I'm going to say a C or a D, but... What about this giving? 
What about it? And I think the answer simply is this, that we repent and we seek the Lord first and we give ourselves to the Lord. And we have the attitude of George Muller, who founded Bernardo's. And how sad that that organization has wandered so far from its Christian roots. And his attitude was, Lord, you keep giving me the money, I'll keep giving it away. And he said, you will never outgive God. You will never outgive God. It's not health and wealth prosperity teaching. It's saying our God is a generous God. Our God, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. And we can afford even when we are in poverty to give. That's why, by the way, if you are here and you are on a pension or you are on a very small income and you can only give a small amount to the church, your contribution is as valuable and as precious and as real as someone who can give £100,000. In the Christian church, we don't do the patronizing, we don't do the scales We all are just meant to give and to help and encourage one another. And if God has blessed you with wealth, use it for his glory. But please note all of us that he has blessed all of us with wealth because he has given us Christ and along with Christ, he graciously gives us all things. If you're not a believer, seek the Lord, not so that you can have money, but so that you can have all the riches that come with Christ. And if you are a believer, open up your hands. Stop clenching your fist. Stop holding on to trying to control yourself. Just give to the God who gives and gives and gives again. I ask simply, what do you see when you survey the wondrous cross? Lord, thank you for your word. It's difficult for us who are so used to trying to control things, who are so used to being fearful, to realize how open and how generous and how gracious you are, and to reflect that in our own lives, but enable us to do so, to be wise in the the gifts that you have given us, not to be irresponsible, but to be responsible and generous and gracious. In your name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.